What's up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here coming at y'all with another episode of our SEC in 30 Days theme. We are joined by South Carolina Insider, writer for the state newspaper. Ben Portnoy is joining us today, and I just want to say I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Yeah, Zach, happy to, ha- happy to do it. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. So we got to get into last season. I mean, uh, I know it wasn't the best for the Gamecocks, 2-8. and eight. Really kind of led to Will Muschamp's departure from South Carolina firing, whatever you want to call it. I usually ask whether it met, exceeded expectations. I know this is far short of the standard of South Carolina. So I want to kind of rephrase that and ask you, what really went wrong for the 2020 South Carolina Gamecocks? Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, I think the biggest thing is when you look at it is defense. I think that, you know, that's something that Will Muschamp prided himself on, and it just never quite got there. You know, you had some injuries. You know, Israel Mukwamu wasn't healthy most of the year. Uh, J.C. Horn was in and out a little bit, didn't play the last couple of games. Now that was after Muschamp was fired. But still, you know, you you lose guys like that, and and you're going to be down. You know, you're going to be having some trouble. And, uh, you, you know, when you look at that and that kind of thing, I think that, you know, you look at the game against Ole Miss, for example, where they give up, you know, over 50 points and a ton of yards. And, you know, it kind of boils down to, you know, what do you expect the South Carolina team to be? And, and you know, when the defense wasn't there, when that's something that, you know, I think that your head coach prided himself on, that that was a problem. Um, you know, the offense wasn't quite there. There were some flashes. You know, Kevin Harris was ran for over a thousand yards and, and looked really good doing it. And there were little bits and pieces. You know, Colin Hill was fine, I think. You know, I mean, you know, it wasn't great and it wasn't the perfect experiment. Uh, you know, Ryan Alinsky was hurt and Luke Doty got some time. And it was just kind of a, a little bit of a – you just had a lot of inconsistency all over the board. And, uh, you know, and I never really put it together, frankly. Right. I mean, and, you know, we talk Will Muschamp leaves because of this season, really. Shane Beamer gets his first head coaching opportunity for the Gamecocks, comes to South Carolina, where he spent three years under one of the best offensive minds in Lincoln Riley over at Oklahoma. Uh, plus his dad, probably the most legendary coach in Virginia Tech history, um, and Frank Beamer. Why was he the guy? Why was Beamer the guy for South Carolina? And for you, what are your expectations for him moving forward for South Carolina? Yeah, I think that, you know, when you look at Shane, he had a lot of alumni support. He had a lot of former player support and that kind of thing. You know, uh, there were a lot of guys that were interviewed through this process. You know, Scott Satterfeld at, at Louisville. Uh, Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, Skip Holtz, uh, you know, Billy Napier was pretty heavily involved here too. Uh, but I think that when you look at it, Shane Beamer is a guy that's charismatic. He's kind of the polar opposite of Lincoln Riley, if you look, or excuse me, of uh, Will Muschamp, if you look at it. I mean, he's a little more extroverted. He, he's a guy who likes, you know, being out and about and with people, whereas Will's a little more reserved and, and quieter and more introverted. And, uh, you know, like you said, coming from Oklahoma, you know, Shane was at Oklahoma. He was at Georgia before that. He was at Virginia Tech. I mean, he's been a part. He's been at Tennessee as a graduate assistant. I mean, he's been at some of the biggest programs in America. And, you know, I think the big knock with Shane is that, yeah, he's a coach's kid and he hasn't been a coordinator. And I think that, you know, you can pick quarrels with that, I guess. But I think that when you look at it, Shane's kind of a – it's super cliche, but he's a culture guy, right? Like he's a guy that I, I think, you know, people rally around. I think that people here have rallied around pretty quickly. And I think, 
you know, people tend to, to enjoy being around, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of, <laughs> I think there's a lot of insanity around college football and, you know, not necessarily a whole lot of transparency. And I think, you know, as far as, you know, we've dealt with Shane, he's been super transparent with us. And I think that's refreshing. And, you know, he's one of these guys that, you know, what you see is what you get. And I think that's, you know, a big pull for South Carolina. And he's a, he's a guy who you can rally around. Like I said, I mean, he's a guy that I think draws people out and and gets people excited and, and, you know, kind of rallies the troops a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he does. I thought it was one of the better hires. I know it's always a big what if when you get a first time head coach, especially in the SEC, where LS, let's be honest, is the most brutal division in college football. So he's going to get his feet wet real quick at South Carolina. But the first big decision for Beamer is who's going to be QB1 for this offense next year. Luke Doughty. Jason Brown, Colton uh, Gaither are all fighting for this spot. I know it's kind of really a two-man race, but I always like the third name because you never know with the first-time head coach. They're going to spend time, summer workouts, fall camps, all fighting for this position. For you, just on the inside knowledge, who is your favorite for QB1, and what do each of these guys really bring to the table for South Carolina? Yeah, so coming out of camp, Shane Beamer said that Luke Doty will be the, the number one quarterback, at least going forward. And, you know, frankly, barring something unforeseen, I think that's probably where this ends up. I mean, hypothetically, you've still got summer workouts and camp, and I think Jason Brown's an interesting piece. I mean, he did play really well in the spring game for what that's worth, but it's a spring game, so you can only take so much from that, right? Um, but I, I think this is Luke, Do- Luke Doty's job um, going forward. I think he'll be the first quarterback off the bench and when they open the season against was it Eastern Illinois. Uh, and I think that that's the guy to watch. Um, you know, he's a former top 100 recruit. He's from Myrtle Beach. He put up some crazy numbers in high school and is a guy that I think has a lot of potential. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure we've seen a lot of Luke, you know, throwing the ball, but he's got some ability as an athlete. He's a dual threat guy. Um, and, and I think he kind of fits nicely with what they're going to want to do. I don't think you're going to see him asked to do a lot in the passing game. And I don't think that's because he can't. I think it's just a matter of, you know, it's going to be a first year starter, right? You don't want to put too much on that guy. I think you're, you realistically probably see some play action. You see some simple throws. You see a lot of intermediate routes. You probably see some deep shots just to keep the defense honest. But like, you know, this isn't going to be a team that throws the ball, you know, 50 times a game. I think you're probably going to see more of like a 60, 40 split run versus pass. And, uh, I, I think Luke's a guy that can be a little bit of a game manager and, and handle that running component as well. Right. And I mean, going from an, a defensive minded head coach and Muschamp to an offensive minded and Beamer, how different do you think just as a scheme, uh, like from a scheme perspective, do you expect this offense to be in 2021 and moving forward? I think it'll be pretty multiple. I think you'll see a lot of different things. I think that, you know, uh, Marcus Satterfeld, who's, who's the offensive coordinator here, is uh, coming from the Carolina Panthers. He, he's worked with Matt Rule for a long time. He worked with Joe Brady at, 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 in Carolina for a year. And, um, you know, we all know what that offense did at LSU a couple of years ago. And, you know, Marcus has said before, you know, this year that, you know, don't, you know, we're not out here trying to be 2019 LSU. Sure, we'd like to be, but that's, you know, right? That's ridiculous to try and say that we're going to do that. You know, that's one of the best offenses that we've seen in college football. And so, you know, that said, I think it's going to be multiple. I think you'll see them, you know, swinging the ball around. I think you're going to see guys in space. I think you're going to see a lot of intermediate routes. But you've also got a lot of running backs that you can make, you know, you can make things happen with. Kevin Harris is the guy coming back. But, you know, Marshawn Lloyd was a borderline five-star recruit. Uh, in the class of 2020, I guess now. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, blew out his knee in, in training camp last year and didn't see the field. 
Uh, you know, as a Quandary White's a former Florida State guy who who transferred and has been in the mix a little bit, but looked really, really good in, in the spring game and has been a guy that's been raved about all year. And, you know, don't be surprised if Kevin Harris ends up being the second or third guy off the bench is that running back just because of how deep they are at that position. So, you know, I, I think you'll see them rely a little bit heavier on the run game this year. Now, that may be different a year from now, just depending on who's here and what's what. But I, I think that you'll see some multiple looks. I don't think you're going to see, you know, I think it'll be some spread concepts and that kind of thing. And you'll try and throw the ball around a little bit to keep the defense honest. But this team's going to gonna live and die by the run game, I think, just because that's where the strengths lie. Right. Yeah. That, that for, for Harris to fall over to third string would be crazy because he really was showing out toward the end of last year. But, you know, I, I want it all starts with the recruiting trail. If any head coach is going to come in and be successful, they're going to have to recruit. The 2022 class is looking really nice, but I want to talk more about the kids we're going to see on campus this year. The 2021 class was really affected by the coaching change with early signing day, COVID, no visits. No, I mean, you couldn't do anything. Top 80, though, still headlined by T.J. Sanders was one of the biggest signings in that class out of the state. Um, what were the biggest positional needs, though, for the Gamecocks? And who are some guys you have your eyes on as instant impact guys? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing with this group is you, you beyond the high school guys is you brought in a lot of transfers, right? You know, Carlin Claytel is a guy that comes from the D2 level and has played a lot of snaps and is a guy that I think we'll see a lot of time in the secondary. Um, you know, Tavarian Scott is a linebacker out of – Fort Scott, uh, or excuse me, Dodge City Community College is a guy that I think that once he's on campus will be a guy that can that can see some time. Any of those JUCO guys, I think you sign them and you expect them to step in right away. Um, you know, that said, you've also got some other guys, Marion Brown at receiver, you know, David Spalding at cornerback, Jordan Strawn at linebacker. Like, those are all guys that are going to see a lot of time. Uh, but I think the biggest one, frankly, is, no pun intended, is EJ Jenkins. Um, I mean, he's a guy who's 6'7", 250 plus, and you know, it's really a matchup nightmare. I mean, he's been running with receivers and tight ends uh, through fall, through spring ball and, and into summer and is a guy that, you know, had a couple of touchdown catches when they did red zone stuff uh, during the spring game. And, you know, that's a small sample size, but is a guy that, you know, there aren't a hell of a lot of people out there that can match up with a six, seven guy who's that big. I mean, you know, he looks the part and, you know, if you have a guy like that out there, I mean, it helps Luke Doty as a quarter, first year quarterback and things like that. But, um, you know, with what South Carolina has at receiver, which isn't a lot, I think you've got, you know, a lot of unproven guys and just not a ton of depth there. Maybe you might see eight or nine guys rotate, but I think it's more a product of that, you know, South Carolina is figuring out who's there and who can make plays as much as anything. Um, but I think that EJ Jenkins is probably the newcomer that makes the biggest impact this year if I had to pick one. Right. I mean, it, you're seeing more and more that coaches are willing to put freshmen out there and that they're really coming more college ready just from these high schools that are really ter- – I mean, you look at any kid coming out of like IMG, those guys are already college athletes as juniors and seniors. But I want to shift toward next season, man. The 2021 season is going to be interesting, and South Carolina had a lot of departures. You look at the J.C. Horn headed to the NFL draft being the biggest one. What players on the roster right now do you have your eye on and think could really shine and have their breakout years in 2021? I mean, if you're looking at cornerback, I really like Cam Smith. I think he's a guy that's really talented. He's had some really big plays, you know, through the last – you know, year, two years. I mean, he's a guy that I think is really, really gifted and can be a problem at cornerback um, and, and naturally is a nice replacement for JC. I mean, he's a guy that played a lot of snaps last year and, you know, had a few issues in coverage, got beat, you know, one too many times and is a guy that was still young, right? And, and still kind of learning the position. But, 
you know, when you're playing opposite JC Horn, that's a good guy to be around, generally speaking. And uh, I think he's a guy that I'm really high on. And I think, you know, is a guy that I would point to pretty quickly. I think Karan Prunty as well, who, who's a guy that just committed to South Carolina, I guess it was yesterday, within the last two days. Um, who's coming out of Kansas is a guy that, you know, who didn't allow a touchdown pass against him at, you know, in a program like Kansas, you're doing a pretty dang good job. Right. Um, and he's a guy that I think steps on campus at day one and might be their best secondary piece. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that's going to have four years of eligibility. And I think I saw this, someone said this, you know, he's going to have four years of eligibility, but he probably is only going to need two to get to the next level. So, you know, he's a guy that, that I think steps in quickly and is a, you know, a guy that can make some big plays in that secondary. And I think that, you know, that's the biggest question mark on this team is that, you know, can you go, can you completely avoid disaster of winning, you know, two games this year? If you're going to do that and if you want to make the steps toward, you know, four or five, six wins if things break perfectly and you want to try and get make a run at a bowl game, like that secondary is going to have to sure up. And I think that if it doesn't, the South Carolina team's in for a long season because, I, you know, they're going to have trouble stopping some of the offenses that they're going to see. But, um, you know, if there are guys like Cam Smith or Grand Prunty comes in and, and makes it, you know, make an impact, like you've got a shot. Right. I mean, yeah, that secondary was a strength last year. That's kind of where I want to shift to real quick is, you know, J.C. Horn, a top 10 pick. It's back-to-back years where South Carolina had top 10 picks with Javon Kinlaw coming out the year before. He really shined at the senior ball. He was one of our favorite players while we were down there covering that. You know, for J.C. Horn, though, specifically, he kind of had a breakout year. Uh, anyone who didn't, who wasn't really covering South Carolina, covering college football, really probably didn't know his name going into last year to go to the eighth pick is crazy. What makes Horn such a special player? And just for you covering him at South Carolina, what is his NFL potential really going to be? Yeah, to be, to be fair, I didn't cover a lot of JC. I'm, I'm pretty new here too, but you know, I think he's a guy that is, is physical. He's got some size. He's long. You know, he's he's kind of one of those mean, nasty guys out on the corner who's going to lock you up and not give you a lot of space to operate. And I think, you know, the knock on JC for a long time was that he didn't have an interception. If I'm not mistaken, he didn't get his first career interception until this year as a junior. So, um, you know, that I think it was more of a product of the fact that no one was throwing at him versus the fact that he wasn't making plays. I mean, I, I think if I remember the number right, you know, Guys only had about a 25% completion percentage when they threw at J.C. Horn. So, you know, they may not have targeted him much, but when they did, they weren't making, you know, completing passes. So I think that when you look at a guy like J.C., he's big, he's long, he's physical, and I think he just doesn't give you a lot of space to operate. He really makes you uncomfortable getting out of your breaks, and he doesn't give you the space to to make a play. Right. I mean, I, as an Auburn fan, J.C. Horn has haunted my nightmares for some time. It's a very odd strategy to let Bo Nix throw at him consistently for some reason. I don't know why that was the game plan. I, I don't even – if I'm not even a football coach, I would have been like, hey, if I need to go to the other side of the field. But that's just me. But looking ahead to 2021 schedule, man, they got a brutal road ahead the Gamecocks do. Road games, Georgia, A&M, Missouri, and you still – Again, draw Auburn out of the West. You also have the in-state rival Clemson, and you get Florida on the docket. All six of those games are going to be brutally tough. In the first year for Beamer, though, what is the ceiling and or floor for the 2021 South Carolina uh, Gamecocks? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the floor, if everything becomes a disaster and is a problem, you're probably looking at two wins. I think I saw yesterday that – 
CBS released that the over-under for South Carolina was about three and a half wins. Um, you know, the problem that South Carolina runs into, and I think, you know, coming in recently, I think it gives me a chance to look at it a little more objectively just because, you know, coming from the outside. Like, you've got to play Clemson every single year as a, as a non-conference game, you know, as opposed to, you know, for example, uh, whatever you want to call it, Arkansas, who can schedule four teams out of conference, and, you know, maybe three of those are – are more group of five type programs or whatever that is. But, you know, it's basically like adding Alabama twice on your schedule when you're playing Clemson every year. Um, And that kind of thing hurts, you know. So if you're South Carolina, you've got some tricky non-conference games even then, right? You've got Eastern Illinois, you probably roll. You've got Troy, who's been mediocre since since Neil Brown left for West Virginia, but it's always kind of a pretty decent group of five program. And then you've got East Carolina, which is a game that's at East Carolina. It's in Greenville. I, I think it's week three. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, and, you know, is a game that, that kind of screams trap game. Um, you know, I think that I think that South Carolina should be able to – I mean, South Carolina should win that game 100%, but, you know, it's a game that, that gets a little dicey and could be a little tricky. And, you know, then you still have you still have Vanderbilt on the schedule. You've got a team in Missouri that a lot of people are high on, but I'm not quite there yet with. I think I'll believe it when I see it. Um, and you've got some other teams. I mean, look, Auburn's in a first year under a new coach. You know, weird things happen. Um, you know, there are games like that. Texas A&M was really good last year, but, you know, you lose Kellen Mond, where do they stand? And, and you know, you rethink that the way that they've recruited, they should be all right, but you don't really know till you see it, you know, later into the season. So I think that, you know, if I had to put a number on it, the floor is probably two wins. The ceiling's probably about six, I think, if things break perfectly. Um, you know, I think that, you know, you're probably going to see South Carolina drop another game to Clemson just because I think that the talent gap is, you know, it's not necessarily an indictment on South Carolina. It's as much a, you know, a uh, sort of manifestation of how good Clemson is and how well they've recruited the last, you know, since, you know, the last decade basically and what a machine they've turned into, right? Um, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, there are games on this schedule that are winnable. I think that, you know, if you're South Carolina, you schedule, circle those three non-conference games, you circle Vanderbilt, you circle Missouri, you circle Auburn, you know, there, there are pieces of that that I think that, you know, some of those teams might be more talented on paper, but you, you feel like you could steal a game here or there. But I think realistically, you're looking at probably a three to four win team, probably closer to four. I think that they probably get deal with, you know, take care of business against the group of five teams that they've got to see just because of what they've got on the offensive line and at running back. And I think that they can kind of overpower those teams a little bit, you know, I think that, you know, not that this is a great example, but Vanderbilt was really, you know, bad last year. But, you know, that was a game that South Carolina kind of just ran all over the place and ended up winning that game by about three or four scores. And so you look at that and you say, okay, that's probably realistically what you're looking at against a group of five team like a Troy or an East Carolina or something like that. So I think that they should be able to roll to three wins at least, if not four. And if they get to five, that's that's a really, really good start. I think that you just can't let the bottom fall out in year one. I think that if you can get to four wins, that's that's a pretty good spot to be if you're South Carolina. Absolutely. I mean, and if he gets to six his first year and makes a bowl game and, like, possibly wins that bowl game, that would be, for me, an A++ year for Beamer in year one. And, yeah, the Clemson robbery, that's kind of tough because for years South Carolina benefited from having Clemson be in their out-of-conference rival because Clemson was not not what they were today. And, 
know, this is just kind of like a hypothetical question as well. For in terms of scheduling, I really like seeing the South Carolina North Carolina matchup. We saw it week one a few years back. Is that something the Gamecocks would want to explore and kind of have that be a recurring rivalry game? Like every, maybe not every year because you still have clips in, but uh, more common than what it's been in recent years. Yeah, I mean, from the outside, I think it's a really fun rivalry. I think that it's two teams that are pretty close to each other geographically. And yeah, it's different conferences, but, you know, I, I think it's a nice rivalry game and a game that I think is, is nice to have. The problem is if you're South Carolina with where you're at and what you're already facing in SEC play, you know, that's not necessarily a game you want to schedule, especially with, you know, what Mac Brown's been able to do at North Carolina. And I think that, you know, UNC football has an up and down history, but, you know, it's still generally speaking a pretty middle of the road power five team. And that's definitely a lot different than playing a middle of the road group of five team. Right. And, you know, that's no disrespect to lower levels, but you know, if you're South Carolina, you want to get yourself to bowl eligibility most years. I think that's, you know, generally speaking, this is a team that should, should probably be somewhere between five and seven wins most years when things are rolling. And yeah, maybe you get an uptick here or there where you get to eight or nine or 10 and, you know, in perfect situations, you get to the Spurrier years, right. Where you go 11 wins, three straight years, but that's the only time it's happened in school history. So, you know, you look at that and like, if you're South Carolina, it probably doesn't benefit you to schedule that game. It's great for us from the outside to watch. I think it's a great rivalry there, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a nice, you know, game to have on the schedule. And I think it builds a lot of interest in this part of the country. But at the same time, like, I, I'm not sure how how beneficial it is for for a team like South Carolina where you're fighting for bowl eligibility most years and already going to have to compete in the SEC and going to have to face Clemson every year with what Clemson is right now um, to just keep scheduling games like that. Yeah, and it, hey, when they did schedule it, it was one of the best games of the week one schedule. I mean, I know they came off on the downside of it, but, I mean, it was a really good game, and South Carolina should have won that game, mm-hmm. I mean, potentially. So, you know, this last question here, I mean, I've been to almost every SEC stadium. I actually had a trip that we were going to take for Auburn, South Carolina this year until COVID just said no. No one can go to any games ever. So I, I missed my chance, but hopefully, you know, I'll be able to get to William Bryce Stadium soon, but – for those who haven't been, what makes Columbia William Bryce Stadium such a unique SEC environment? Yeah, and to be honest, I haven't covered a game at Williams Bryce yet either. I'm, I'm still <laughs> here, so I'm learning as I go a little bit. I got a little taste of it during the spring game, which probably isn't a good good explanation, but. Uh, you know, I think that when you look at it, at least from the outside, I think that, you know, the thing that's really cool about South Carolina, and I think you get this across the SEC for the most part, is that, you know, you've got programs that, that you know, South Carolina, for example, is one that historically has been pretty middle of the road. You know, they've had some really high highs, but the lows have been pretty low. And, you know, even then you're still getting 80,000 people at a, ball, at a ball game every single week. And I think that it's a really passionate fan base. I think that Columbia is a really cool place where you've kind of got a combination of where there's pockets that it feels very college towny. You've got pockets that feel very city-like. And uh, it, it's kind of this fascinating mix of the two. And I think it's a really cool place. And people in the state love their Gamecocks, that's for sure. So, you know, I, I think that's a good thing, right? You know, if people are passionate, that's a good thing. I think it's got it, one of the more passionate fan bases in America. And they, they, they're with their team, you know, through the ups and through the downs. And, you know, more recently it's been some downs. But, you know, it's a team that's only a couple of years removed from going nine and four. So, you know, yeah, you've got to rebuild the roster a little bit. And, yeah, you've got – that takes time. But I think that, you know, people here are excited about it. I think that, you know, when Williams Bryce opens up for the first game of the Beamer era, it's going to be really exciting. And I think, you know, people are ready for it. And I think you're, you're going to see people out and, you know, ready to see this thing full tilt. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I know I'm excited. I, I have like so many trips planned throughout the year. I'm just like, I just want to be in a stadium. I don't even care what stadium it is. I just want to see someone play football live. But man, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know it's a busy time. You know, baseball just wrapped up. Football season's getting ready to gear back up. So I appreciate it. This is your time, though, man. Shout outs. Where can they find you on social media? Where can they find the state? Anything you want to plug, man? This is your time. Yeah, man. Uh, no, you can follow me on Twitter at bportnoy15. Uh, check out what I'm writing, I guess, at, at the www.thestate.com. So uh, all sorts of good stuff there and lots of good stuff, you know, coming up through the rest of the offseason and headed toward SEC media days and, you know, training camps right around the corner now, shoot, about a month away, which is pretty crazy. And, you know, we'll have lots of good stuff there. So really excited about that. Yeah, I mean, guys, go go check out the state. Go check out Ben. Be sure to follow him on Twitter so you can keep up with all things South Carolina football throughout the season. This is a program that is on the upswing, man. I'm excited for the Beamer era. I can't wait. We'll definitely be reaching back out to you during the season, man. Have, have to get you back on in the swing of things. But, guys, y'all know where to find Ben. Y'all know where to find us. You can subscribe on YouTube now. You can find the audio versions on any and all podcast streaming platforms. Uh, this is our last episode of SEC in 30 days. So if you're another fan, make sure to go find your school and you can find, uh, you can find any interview for any conference all the way back to February, man. So this wraps up our conference previews and recaps all summer, but guys for Ben, for myself and the blue bloods, we are out.